We are in Psalm 139. You can meet me there on your phone or in your Bible, Psalm 139. And uh, I think this is going to be an important one this morning. And that's not to say I don't take it just as seriously any other week, and uh, I certainly do pray a lot and pour my heart into whatever I'm preaching on, but this one has been brewing for a while, and I just feel like it's probably going to be an especially important one. And I don't usually ever say this, but I will say this this week. If there's somebody who's not here uh, that, that you think would be uh, benefited by this, uh, please make sure that you send them the link. Please make sure that you help them to see it, because um, yeah, just as as I've been praying and preparing and really over a number of weeks um, to get ready for this one uh, and just feeling like I need to say this before I leave on sabbatical, um, just a sense that I think this could just be a key shift for us as a church. And as we've named this year the year of pursuing peace and, and taking time to pursue, what does that mean? Uh, to remain in God's peace and to walk in God's peace towards one another and uh, not just to find that peace, but to stay in that peace and to hold on to that peace, whatever what comes. Uh, a lot of the reason we named that year, uh, we named that theme for the year, was realizing that as we have come through two years of COVID and everything that goes with it, uh, we have not always been great at walking in that peace. And I certainly have not always been great at remaining in God's peace. And so some of it was us going, okay, we've got things to learn. We've got things to grow into. And I know we're all sick and tired of hearing about COVID, uh, but I'm going to talk about COVID this morning. And only because we are moving into a time of healing and, and reconciliation and moving forward and, and we need to talk about that a little bit. And so it is not the plan that this is going to be a major theme or anything, but at some point during the last couple of years, I said to the staff and I said to the board, you know, as we begin to come out of this, and I know we're not fully out of it yet, but as we begin to come out of this, we're going to need to have a place where we can give some reflection and thought to what we've been through um, with the benefit of hindsight, with the benefit of, you know, our, our emotions have calmed down, uh, just to give some thought to that and go, okay, well, what did we just go through? How did I do through it? What was good? What was not so good? Why did I react the way I reacted? And sometimes those things are easier to see in retrospect, right? Some of the great lessons of my life I have learned by looking back on something and, and you have a bit of distance from the event and you're able to see a little more clearly. And so my initial thought was, well, we'll take some time maybe in six months or a year um, and we'll do a, a few weeks of a sermon series and we'll take some time to reflect on what we've been through. And what has just become very clear to me and to the staff as we've been walking with people through this um, is that we, we don't want to leave that that long. And so we're not going to do a series or anything, but we are going to take one Sunday just to talk a bit and begin to reflect a bit upon, uh, all right, moving forward together, what does that look like for us? How do we begin to process what we've been through and, and make some sense of it? How do we invite the Lord into it to help us move forward in this? Because as I think about this year of, of pursuing peace that we've named, um, and I reflect on the last two years, I go, you know, if I was really... At, at perfect peace in God, right? In the way that Jesus talks about, don't worry about a thing, Jesus says, right? Don't worry about anything. The Father's got you. Everything is taken care of. If I truly lived in that all the time, then I wouldn't have been phased by a virus. I wouldn't have been phased by a government. I wouldn't have been phased by restrictions. I wouldn't have been phased by people who disagreed with me on things. I really wouldn't have been that bothered by that season. And that was not really my experience. Anyone with me there? 
I'm glad it's not just me. Otherwise, this would just be a monologue for me that you would all be listening in on. And so, again, part of the recognition of our year of pursuing peace is going like, okay, I didn't hold on to peace for two years straight as we went through this incredibly difficult, challenging time. And as we jump into this today, I am not interested at all. We are not uh, refighting conversations about masks or vaccines or convoys or decisions or government. Like, we're not jumping into that. Everybody, we all had our convictions. We all took our stands. We all made our choices. Uh, I'm not interested at all in stirring that all up again. Um, I think as we are, are moving forward as a church, um, we just need to recognize there's some elephants in the room from the last couple of years. There's just some kind of unspoken things that we've been through as a church body, and we've prayed about them, and, and we haven't totally ignored them. But as we move forward, I just want to name some of the elephants, because I think when we don't name the elephants in the room, they just hang out there and they stay. And they, they are a problem, and we're actually wanting to leave them behind. And we're wanting to invite the Lord in to help us move forward in this stuff. We are trusting in the goodness of a good shepherd who knows how to lead us forward from here. And so, I again, this I trust will be a one-time thing. We might revisit it later down the road. Um, but I, I just can't tell you how strongly I began to feel as restrictions lifted and as things got back to normal more and more and as we started gathering back together more and more and as exciting as it all was, uh, it's not like that happened and then the whole last two years got forgotten either, right? It's not like we just, uh, everything just kind of shifted and we haven't just been through this very big, intense thing that we've all been through, not just in our church, but in our society. And so can we trust in the goodness of God as we uh, in invite him into this with us as he helps us moving forward. And so just in beginning to name some of the elephants and calling things what they are, first of all, we need to acknowledge that we have been through something traumatic these last two years. And I always fought against that word trauma because I, I kind of felt like that word gets thrown around a lot and trauma this and trauma that and, and everything. And it was meeting with a counselor who said, trauma just means pain. That's all it means. And in my head, I was picturing like horrific pain. But my counselor said, no, Chris, like a paper cut is trauma. Now, it's not as serious as like car accident trauma, but it's still trauma. It's still pain. And pain is something we do have to acknowledge. It is something we do have to deal with. And pain tends to touch all sorts of stuff inside of us. And so as, as COVID has happened, um, it, it maybe has not been life and death traumatic for all of us, but we have been through something where our world as we know it has gotten turned upside down. And, and we have experienced disruption like we have never experienced in our life before. And it's been for two years. And it's been everybody. So it's not just like I'm going through a hard time in my family so I can lean on Chris in this time because he's in a really good, strong place right now. So we were all going through this at the same time. And none of us have been through it before. So it wasn't even like there was someone 10 steps ahead of us saying, I know the way. This is how we get through this. We were all figuring it out as we went. And so as it all began in 2020... A friend of mine in the ministry who's a bit older than me and very wise said to me, uh, she said, Chris, I think the main thing that we're going to see people go through in however long this pandemic lasts is it's going to be grief. And that grief will show up lots of different ways. It will show up as anger. It will show up as sadness. It will show up as loneliness. It will show up as withdrawal. It will show up in all sorts of different ways. But everyone's going to be grieving. And I, I don't know what I thought about it at the time, but as things unfolded, uh, I think that was very, very true, is that we were all grieving stuff. 
And so some of us here are literally grieving the loss of loved ones prematurely. The, the, no one in our church passed away uh, due to COVID, but a number of our families have lost parents and grandparents and, and other family members. And so there's been a grief to that that is very real. Uh, we have been grieving just the loss of, of jobs for some of us and then the loss of our financial security and the loss of, of those situations. We've been grieving just the, the normal that we used to experience. We've been grieving that life is not the same as it was two years ago. And it's not to say it will not be wonderful moving forward, but it's not going to be the same as it was two years ago. And so we have been grieving that. We've been grieving the disruption. We've been grieving what our kids have had to go through in terms of stuff that they've had to carry at their young ages. We've been grieving relationships that have been strained and struggles that we have gone through. We've been grieving division in churches and in our families and in society. We've been grieving that we're looking at people differently than we were a couple of years ago. We're grieving many things. And I think it's important that we call that what it is. Because it's very easy, and especially for people of faith, it's very common to just be like, oh, we'll just stuff those feelings right on down in the name of victory, in the name of resurrection, in the name of the goodness of God. And it's like, right, yes, all those things, but you can't ignore that thing that, that hurts, that thing that you have been struggling with either. You can't just put that aside. One of my last courses for seminary was called, I think it was called Grief, Death, and Dying. Just, woo, super cheery, Right. And it was for ministers because we, we live in that world and we walk through that with people a lot. And I had to read this great, big, huge, thick textbook. Uh, and it was uh, like a survey, a history of how different cultures and societies have grieved around the world for thousands of years. Um, you know, this religion, that religion, a lot of Christian stuff, a lot of how Christian nations have dealt with grief. And basically, my big takeaway from this book uh, you know, all this, you know, thousands of pages. The big takeaway for me was that really no one in the history of humanity and no one on the earth today actually deals with grief worse than modern Christians from Western nations. We have, since the Enlightenment, we have valued logic and reason, and, and those are wonderful things, but we have shoved the heart down very much to our detriment. So if you say to someone in our culture, they're so emotional, that's an insult, right? That's not a compliment, usually. And yet we are all emotional. We are made in the image of God. God is an emotional God. We are made in his image. He gave us our emotions, and we're maybe not as good at processing them, and then some of that's personality. Uh, we maybe aren't as good as expressing them, but we definitely have them, every single one of us. And part of growing in maturity is learning how do we engage with this stuff? How do we make sense of this stuff? And so when I'm doing a funeral, I have to say to people regularly, yeah, okay, celebration of life is good, and, and all the wonderful things is good, and the funny stories are good, but, and, and even, you know, in, in faith, like, we're, we're rejoicing with them in heaven, and their pain is gone, and they're with Jesus, and that's where they wanted to be, and that is the source of our hope. We rejoice in all of that, but that also doesn't change the reality that there's a big hole in your life now because someone is gone. And there is a place for joy. We just sang it. There's, there's a time for rejoicing. There's a time for weeping. There's a time to, to be hopeful. And, and there's a time, honestly, in the messiness of life to hold all of it together at the same time. And so when I look back on the last two years as pastor of Meadowbrook Church, there's so much to rejoice over, so much good stuff 
that happened. And we just saw people pull together like never before. And we saw our leaders find new ways to step up and new ways to figure out how are we going to do this in this brand new season and new technologies that have come to us and just support as we did stuff in the community. Like you, you might forget stuff. We were partnering uh, with getting hundreds and hundreds of care kits out early on to our frontline workers and, and giving them you know, gift certificates and thank you cards. And we were doing all sorts of stuff like that. And we found new ways to connect with our kids and new ways to connect with our youth and new ways to gather. And not always on Sunday morning the way we wanted, but gathering in different ways and wrestling with the scriptures. And when I look back, I go, man, I am so proud of Meadowbrook for how we wrestled with all these scriptures uh, that were in tension with each other as we tried to navigate a brand new season and figure out how to do this. It was amazing to watch as it all unfolded. And as the season has come along, we've had wonderful people join our church family. Just We've met such incredible people and, and just the, the solid Jesus-loving people that have come alongside us. And there's been so much good. We rejoice in all of it. We're grateful for all of it. All of it is incredible. And it doesn't undo the pain either of the same season. And so we're going to lean into that part a little bit today, even as we rejoice in the good stuff. And so um, are you ready for that? I'm throwing it at you so you don't really have a choice, but this is where we're going today. And, and we just want to make some room today. Um, and I, our prayer has been that this will be freeing, right? We're not wanting to uh, remain where we've been, and we're not wanting to emphasize the pain and stay. Like We're wanting to, to heal. We're wanting to move forward. We're wanting to rise up. We're wanting to figure out the path from here. So we're going to look at our text. We're in Psalm 139. Just a reminder, we do have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. You can shoot your questions there, and we're happy to keep that conversation going. Psalm 139, uh, if you've been around church for a while, you will probably know this one. Psalm of David. Starting in verse 1, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. 
See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So a bit of a roller coaster coming at us from King David, right? There's some, some ups and downs and highs and lows as David is, is as always, just very honestly uh, expressing what's going on in his soul. We're not going to cover all of that today, uh, but we're going to hit a few of the key verses there. Um, the heart of it, obviously, the big takeaway, the big rock that you see there is just David rejoicing and wow, God really knows me. Like I am known by God. I am known by God in a way that my spouse does not know. I am known by God in a way that my best friends don't know. I am known by God in a way that is beyond comprehension. And David is saying that, these thoughts are too wonderful for me to understand how well he knows me. And yet, there's also at the end this kind of explosion of anger and hatred and, and wrath. And then concluding with this, okay, Lord, search me. Search me and, and know. Search me and, and, and help me figure this all out. And that just suggests to me, when it comes to figuring out what's going on in me, I need divine help. I can't always do that on my own. I don't always understand why I do what I do. I don't always understand the depths of what is going on in my soul. And so there's an invitation here, Lord, come on in and help me do this. Come on in and help me figure this out. Come on in and help me make sense of all of this. I need help sorting this out. I'm going to talk about me a little bit this morning. My favorite topic. (laughs) Um, My least favorite thing to talk about myself publicly. Um, Part of that is I, I want to just kind of let you in a little bit on what the last two years have been like for me. I'm heading out on sabbatical. Next Sunday will be my last Sunday. So I'm going to be off for a few months. And so we've talked to you about this throughout the way, and and so for the first couple of weeks, the staff will cover things, then Terry Bone is going to be here uh, for 10 weeks of that, and he'll be doing the preaching and and managing the staff and helping them through this. The last uh, week will be the staff running things as well. Um, Some of you have suggested to me or or asked the question like, oh, vacation, wow, amazing vacation. And so I just want to clarify what sabbatical is. And it is, it is a vacation in the sense of you're taking a break from your day job, but you are taking a break from your day job in order to press into the Lord and, and be present to the Lord. And so it's not a time just of, you know, sleeping in and, and, you know, exploring the world and all those sorts of things. I'll be doing a little bit of that with my family, especially in July as the kids are off of school. But there is something of a program that I am going through as I go through this. And um, you have to choose what your sabbatical is going to be about when you go on sabbatical here. And so um, you have to write up a little thing and present it to the board to get permission to go on it. And so uh, and this, I'm telling you this for your prayers and also just so you can be uh, with me on it in spirit. Um, my sabbatical is just going to be focusing on my, my mental and emotional health. It's just going to be focusing on my soul. And so you can go to school during your sabbatical. I've done lots of school. You can dig into learning. I, I've done a lot of that. I will always do a lot of that. But, um, but just recognizing my soul needs some attention right now. And it's not, I'm not going on sabbatical because of COVID. Uh, we have a sabbatical policy that's been in place for many years. And so I was due to go on sabbatical last summer. Uh, ultimately decided that we were kind of right in the midst of things. And I just said to the board, I don't think I'll be able to relax at all if I go on sabbatical right now. I'm going to be concerned about everything. And I, I just wasn't in a great spot. So um, it's much nicer to think about going now when, when we're in a, a much better spot COVID-wise and everything. But um, I'm going to be getting some professional help while I'm off, just so we're all on the same page on that. And just recognizing I'm, I'm 
going to need some help to kind of sort through this stuff. And a lot of that is COVID-related, um, but it's not COVID even, because, you know, one of the things that COVID really did for us, if we can see it as this gift, even though it wasn't a fun gift to get, um, one of the things COVID did was exposed a lot of our, our junk, right? And we'll, we'll talk a bit about that this morning. Um, and so as a leader, for me, it was just, wow, every leadership insecurity, uh, every bit of baggage that I was carrying, all of it just came screaming up during this season. And, and I think that's pretty common as I talk to other pastors. And so I'm choosing to see that as the gift of, okay, Lord, you have brought things to my attention that need attention. And so I am going to give these things some attention and I'm going to have some help to do it. And so very much appreciate your prayers uh, for me as I'm off doing that. Um, So not quite a vacation as much as a a soul-searching time and a time of being with the Lord. Um, You know, taking a step away from the day-to-day of ministry I don't know that people always really understand how challenging ministry is. Um, I'm looking at Xavier and Susan over here who who know very well. Um, You know, ministry is a, in practical terms, is a grind. And it's a privilege and an honor, but it's a a very difficult job. And, And we live in the world of... Of, of death and divorce and sickness and crisis and trauma and pain and abuse and, and just meeting people and all of these things. And, and 24-7, there's no stop to it. And, and you're just in there all the time. And pastors burn out on levels that are the same as healthcare professionals burning out. Like, it's just, it's very widespread. And so I'm very grateful that years ago, Meadowbrook said, you know what, we want to be investing in our leaders in a way that that doesn't happen, that we can endure, ensure that there's some longevity in ministry. And so... Um, as we are, uh, you know, considering these things in light of the season that we've been in and the season that we've all been in, and we've all been through a lot these last two years, um, I, I just found myself, you know, again, just meeting with a counselor, talking to other pastors, finding myself in this place, and, and beginning to dig into, you know, what happens when our souls are, are just exhausted? What happens when we're feeling burnt out? What happens when we're feeling, uh, you know, just that we're, we're kind of coming to the end of what we can handle? And, and that happens long before COVID. It happens in lots of different ways. But these are the kinds of things that people are telling me they're feeling in these days. Um, people are saying, I just don't feel motivated, even though everything's open again. I'm just having a hard time just kind of getting going and jumping into this stuff. I'm, I'm walking in a kind of whatever attitude and not a good whatever, not like, hey, Lord, whatever you have for me is wonderful, but a whatever of just like, I don't care. Like, I don't care what happens. I don't care. We're not feeling all those highs and lows that we normally would feel. We're falling into numbing behaviors. We're overeating. We're drinking. We're, we're just getting lost in the Netflix all day uh, just to, to kind of take the edge off what we're going through, distracting behaviors, we're throwing ourselves into work or, or exercise. Remember when COVID first started and so many of us were like, I'm going to lose 20 pounds and I'm going to learn a new language and I'm going to master a new instrument. I have all this time. And, and everyone was just like trying to, to grab onto something. And, and those things are not bad on their own. They can become a problem if we're using them to just not deal with stuff, if we're using it to get away from what we're going through. Emotional overreactions, right? I'm snapping at my spouse. I'm snapping at my kids. Pulling away from community, pulling away from others. There's a cynicism and a pessimism that creeps in. Uh, we're avoiding sometimes people and things and activities that would normally be joyful to us. And, and sometimes those activities aren't bringing us the joy that they once were. And, and we would say, well, that's not really like us. But I'm, I'm just kind of pulling away from some of the stuff that I used to love. I turned 40 in 2020, and my wife, just being a good wife, went, oh, how, what are we going to do? How are we going to celebrate? And I said, we're not. Forget it. 
I said, everyone's mad and everyone's mad at me and I just don't feel like being celebrated. You're going to plan something. It'll get canceled anyway. Forget it. We're just nothing. It was not me at my best. Right? Difficulty listening, concentrating. We talk about the COVID fog, right? There's just, uh, you know, our, our minds are racing. It's hard to, to be present and to listen and to even watch a show sometimes. Some people are using the language of, I'm just, like, my soul is tired. Right? My soul is tired. Two years of not knowing and two years of waiting and two years of restrictions and two years of grieving. Uh, I just feel tired, and, and some have even said, I just, I've lost a sense of self. I, I, like I, I have not been doing the things I used to do. I'm not seeing the people I used to see, and some of the ways I used to define myself of who I am, I haven't been able to do them. I don't really know who I am anymore. Do you see yourself there? Not all of them, but, but in some of them. Anyway, so a counselor I've been seeing pointed me uh, to a study that had been done by uh, Berkeley University in Acadia in Canada, and they were talking about these kinds of things. It wasn't a Christian study, but they were talking about, man, when, when we find ourselves in these places, when we find ourselves in this place of exhaustion, burnout, whatever you want to call it, they said they did this big study and they said we found six common things that bring our souls to this place. There's many more, but six things that just very commonly lead us to this place. This is what they found. When we are in a work overload, we're just working way more than we normally would. When we lose control or autonomy of our lives or of our jobs or whatever, when there's insufficient reward for what we're doing, so life's always a challenge and there's always sacrifice, but it's sometimes hard to see the reward in that. When there's an absence of fairness, when we feel like we are not being treated the way other people are being treated, when there's a lack of community that we can connect with to be encouraged and refreshed, and when we have conflicting values with those around us. When we're in these states for extended periods of time, it sucks the life out of us. That's what the study found. Can you frame yourself in those in the last two years? Right? Like, loss of, like, we, you could debate, we'll debate for 10 years, I'm sure, what worked and what didn't. But what's undeniable uh, is that we had undeniable restrictions placed on us, right? For two years, we couldn't go where we wanted to go, and we couldn't do what we wanted to do. And there, was, there were strong restrictions put on us. We lost a lot of control of our own lives. We didn't always see, what's it all for, right? Like, what's the reward of all this? We're paying a price, but where, where is that reward? And, and the reward, I believe, was legitimate that we're trying to save lives and we're trying to help people, that's also hard to measure, right? And it's hard to see. And so what's this all for? Absence of fairness, right? Like we lived through a time where some of us, as things began to open, had more rights than other people had based on whatever healthcare choices we had made that were best for us and in the best of our understanding. And so if we've been caring, hey, this is not fair the way I am being treated. We've all lost community in different ways. Sometimes we couldn't gather as a church. Sometimes we could gather in smaller numbers. Sometimes we could not get together for Christmas dinner, right? Sometimes we were limited by what we could do. And then conflicting values. Oh, my goodness. Right? And the number of values that came up, right, that, that we were arguing over these last two years. And will we value this? Will we value that? And, and sometimes those conflicts were in our own family. Sometimes those conflicts were in our own church. Sometimes those conflicts were, were in the broader society. But So to live in that long term, I, I really believe, has just sucked the life out of a lot of us. And now we're in this season where things are reopening and it feels great. And, and honestly, for two years, I was going, man, I cannot wait for the Sunday right? Where we open the cafe, we'll lose the mask, we'll lose the ropes, we'll hug each other, right? We'll rejoice together. And we had that Sunday back in March. Randy Friesen was here. It was a great Sunday, right? It was amazing. 
And we saw people come back who hadn't been here in a while that we missed desperately. And it felt like a reunion. It felt like a recovery. It felt like we're moving forward. And it really was all those things. And yet it's also not like, well, that's over and we're done. And our souls just snapped back into where we were in February of 2020. Because we really have still been through something. And so... If, if you've been here, and I have been here, and, and you've been in this place, and you see yourself in these things, um, I found that this brought a bit of clarity to me, and I hope it does for you as well. And, uh, and just to say, like, hey, like, we've all been through something, right? We've all been through something these last couple of years. And so if that's you, please know we see that, we see you, um, we understand. And, and we don't all understand why we've done everything we've done these last couple of years, but we've all been through something. And as in all things, the teachings of Jesus are going to help us move forward because I am at my best when I look like Jesus and when I walk in his ways. When I don't walk in his ways, that's where I get away from my best. And so Jesus said we are to love our neighbor and to love our enemy and implicitly, everybody in between, right? Jesus loves even the people murdering him on the cross in the moment. He loves them in that moment. And so we are called to love our neighbor, love our enemy, and love everybody in between. And so what does that look like moving forward? As we reflect on the last two years, how well did we do that? And where we didn't do well, how can we do better moving forward? Jesus calls us in Matthew 7, 1 to 5, to deal with the plank in our own eye first, He says, like, why are you obsessing over the speck of sawdust in your neighbor's eye? You've got a plank in your own eye. That's your top priority. And we learn super young to blame everybody else, right? You're the problem. We're having a problem here. Well, you're the problem. And Jesus says, no, exact opposite. You deal with you first. You clean yourself up first. And as you clean yourself up, then you're able to help your brother get clean themselves. But we are not to obsess about the other person's role, the other person's issues, the other person's problem. Jesus says your top priority when there's sin in the room is your own. That's the main thing that you are to be obsessed over. And then as you start to clean yourself up, then you are free to help your brother get free of their sin. But, but not to accuse, not to attack. That's not what that's about. So we got to clean ourselves up first. We are to forgive as we've been forgiven by God. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that we have received just an unbelievable amount of grace and mercy from God. And we are called to give away an unbelievable amount of grace and mercy to others. And that's not to say that they have not sincerely done wrong or sincerely hurt us. It's not to say we don't have to have a conversation and work on things. But we need to forgive because we've been forgiven. The grace that we have given, we are called to give away. And then the golden rule, Matthew 7, 12, we are to treat others the way we would want to be treated. And it's so easy to to get mad at people who have disagreed with us. It's so easy to feel frustrated with everything. But we always come back to that just very simple, very powerful, very beautiful teaching of Jesus. If I were in their shoes, how would I want to be treated? And surely it's not with condescension or contempt or eye-rolling or whatever. As we move forward and figure out, as the relationships in our lives, some of them need attention and, and some reconciliation and fixing, Uh, how would I want to be treated if I were in their shoes? The nature of empathy, and Jesus shows it so powerfully for us at the cross. He literally walks in our shoes and goes and sacrifices for our sake. And so in terms of moving forward, 
We are at our best when we look like Jesus. We are at our best when we are following in his ways. And so can we trust that his way is a good way to help us move forward in this? We're just going to hit a few verses of our text today. Verse 1 through 4. You've searched me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Does that not blow your mind? Even the stupid stuff I say, even the stupid stuff you say. The words that are coming out of your mouth are coming out of the overflow of your heart, Jesus says, and the Father knows your heart. And so before the words are even out of your mouth, God knows it already. Just this, just, you know, to be refreshed in that again, the level of which you are known by God. That, that it's easy to feel like I don't want to talk to him about certain things or I want to withhold certain things. Um, and the silliness of that, it's, it's very natural. But when you see, yeah, he knows that stuff already. He is the safest place in the world to bring your junk to. He's the safest place in the world to open up to. God knows us and he is good. He's a safe place for us to trust. And so in terms of as we reflect on these last couple of years, as we move forward, another elephant in the room that we need to acknowledge is we have been a church divided. Every church has been divided over things. And I don't mean literally split. We didn't literally split. But in terms of the opinions that we held and how we navigated this, we have been a church divided. Every church, I think, has been through this. When Randy Friesen was here uh, a few weeks ago, he and I were talking before the service. And Randy, uh, as a missionary, travels all over the world and visits all sorts of churches and all sorts of different cultures. And he says, Chris, like I've been everywhere these last couple of years when we've been able to travel. He says, COVID, I think, split every church right down the middle. Like just every church has just had a difference of opinion on how we are going to navigate this and how we are going to walk through it. Um, and so it's, it's common across the board. And it is something that I'll tell you as a pastor has been the worst thing I've been through as a pastor is just watching this happen and knowing that uh, the people I love aren't on the same page on these things and knowing that we have to make choices at a church as a church uh, that, that aren't going to be liked by a large portion of the people who attend this church. And, um, and just so you know, every decision we had to make during COVID just felt like a textbook lose-lose. Like it, it really just felt like ugh, no matter what we do here, it's going to be a problem. No matter what we do here, there's going to be questions about whether it was the right thing to do. And in some ways, that was freeing, uh, just in the sense of like, well, then all we can do is pray about it and do what we think is the right thing to do. But I'll tell you, I know we made decisions that hurt some of you. Uh, I know we made decisions where some of you felt like you needed to pull away for a time. And I, I will stand by every decision we made. But please know how sorry I am that some of you got hurt in this. That crushed me these last two years. Lost a lot of sleep over these decisions. Just knowing that it was hurting you, right? It's the hardest part about being a dad. Is sometimes I have to make decisions for my, my kids that I know hurts them. And, and yet I trust that it's the best for them. Um, and, and so it was just not an easy thing to navigate at all. Um, I was expected to be an expert on everything that was going on, right? Justify why you're making this uh, restriction decision or justify why you're not doing that one. Justify this and watch this YouTube video and, and just... Um, you know, expected to, to be experts on things that we're not experts on. And, uh, and we did the best that we could throughout all of that. Um, and so it has been challenging. And, and we have seen this wonderful thing uh, in the last few weeks where the church is coming back together again. And so the statistics are basically every church in North America 
uh, saw their in-person attendance drop by uh, 50, 30 to 50%, and, and people were watching online uh, for a wide variety of reasons. And, and some in our church stayed away out of concern, out of just virus concern or health concern. Some stayed away out of conviction because they felt like they needed to stand for something, and some people stayed away uh, just out of frustration, and, and they, they were just having a hard time with it. Some people stayed away out of the pain of it. I had one person say to me, um, it just, she just said, it hurts me to be at church and watch everyone in masks. Like, it just, it hurts me to see a church I loved, and we're just being reminded of COVID while we're there. And, and I get it. I get it. And if you've been away in this time, and some have been away for six months, and some have been away for a year, and some have been away for two years, uh, listen very clearly. There's no judgment on why you stayed away. We've all gone through something. And there's no judgment at all in why you made that choice. And I, I trust in the goodness of who you are and why you made that choice, that there was something real that compelled you to do that. And there was a wide variety of reasons. And I missed you desperately while you were gone. And I prayed for you all the time. And it has been one of the great joys of the last two years to see us starting to come back together again. At the same time, some people who've been away for a year or been away for two years who are coming back are saying like, oh, it feels kind of weird to come back. And I think it's bound to, probably. I think about once a year, this, I don't know if you've ever experienced something like this, about once a year, I go for a walk every morning, about once a year, I wake up and I say, why am I not a runner? <laughs> Better workout, less time? Like, why? Why not? And then I run. <laughs> and I remember why I'm not a runner. And so, like, if you don't run for two years, and then you get up and you go for a run, it's like, oh, this is going to feel a bit clunky, right? And, and the hope would be, and I never get to this point, but the hope would be, if you keep at it, right, your body will begin to change, your strength will change, your, your breath will change, uh, it will get easier. You will figure out a way to do it. And so, if you're one of the ones who's coming back, and you're just like, oh, it's kind of weird, you go, well, you're, you're out of practice, and, and that's understandable, uh, keep at it. It's going to get easier. And for those who are coming back, who've been away for a time, um, it's going to take a little effort, I think, to kind of reintegrate yourself into the rhythms of community. And for the rest of us who have been here, uh, it is on us as well to welcome back. And we're going to have to make some effort to welcome people back and make sure that they feel loved and wel welcomed and accepted here. Um, and, and it's all good stuff if, if we're willing to put in that, that effort. And, um, and it's, that part's been so good. Jesus says, uh, he cries out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you, right? Just like a mother hen, I've longed to gather you together. Um, and that's a pastor's heart. Just, I, I want my people together. I want us all together. And, and it's been one of the most painful parts of the last part of it for me. But I think as we move forward and we recognize that we didn't all agree on decisions that the church made and we didn't all agree on restrictions and things like masks, we didn't all agree on vaccines, we didn't all agree on the convoy, like there's just been a lot of things where we have found ourselves on the opposite sides of things, though that conflicting values part, right, that can cause a lot of stress and strain. As we move forward, I don't really see a way that we can move forward unless we're all willing to give each other an incredible amount of the benefit of the doubt. Like, and not just in church, but in any relationship, in our families and otherwise, that if we're not willing to say, you know what, I'm going to believe the best about you, 
and believe that even if we disagreed on the right way to approach this or that, that you did what you did for good reasons and you did what you did out of sincere conviction. And we might not have landed at the same place, but you did it in a way that was real to you and important to you. And, and I just think that as we give that incredible grace to each other, it will help us tremendously moving on. And at your workplace and in your families and anywhere else, that if we can look at each other and believe the best in one another, that I might not agree with the choice you made here or there, but that being said, I believe that what you did came from a sincere place of conviction for you. It was important to you. You made the choices that you made, different than mine perhaps, but I'm not going to look at you differently because we landed on a different place. Does that make sense? That, that we, are, we are full of his grace and we are giving it away. How are we doing? Are we doing okay? All right. I am not very far into my message, <laughs> just, so, just so you know. We're at our best when we look like Jesus. So moving forward, what does it mean to love our neighbor and to love our enemy and to love everybody in between? What does it mean to get the plank out of my own eye first, not blaming and deflecting and pointing at other people, but to say, what about me? What does it mean to forgive as I have been forgiven, giving the mercy away that I've received? What does it mean to treat others as I would want to be treated? And what does it mean in that context specifically to treat the people on the other side of the debate the way you would want to be treated? Because I don't know anyone who says like, oh, I'm going to get into an argument with Leah. I hope she's super condescending to me. I hope she calls me an idiot or selfish or sheeple or, right? Like, I really hope. Like, no one wants to be treated that way, right? So what does it mean to treat others the way we would want to be treated? Uh, the cry of the psalmist, search me, God. Search me. Help me make sense of this as we move forward. Verse 13, 14, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. When David says your works are wonderful, he's talking about himself. And it's not arrogant. It's biblical truth. He's saying the work that you did in knitting me together in my mother's womb was a wonderful, amazing thing. And, you know, there's a part of Christianity that really wants to emphasize our sinfulness, right? Our, our brokenness. And, it, and that's true. We are sinners. We are broken. Uh, and yet that doesn't undo verses like this that just say, hey, God handcrafted you on purpose. And he makes wonderful things. And our sin has broken us. We need salvation. We need redemption. But God had knit you together in your mother's womb with purpose, with a calling, with a personality, with giftings, with a direction in life. God has knit you together on purpose. And it's easy to read that and go, wow, thank you, Lord. How amazing. Wow. And to really think about that, like to think about your own mom, like your literal mom, and what God did in her womb to bring you forward and to bring you here and your personality, and the call, the vocation of your life, and the spiritual gifts that he's given you, that God did that on purpose in your mom. Like, amazing. And lest we get narcissistic and a big head about it, that's true about everybody else also, including the person you're mad at right now. Right? They were handcrafted by God. They are made in his image. You're mad at Doug Ford right now? I get it handcrafted by God and made in his image. Doesn't mean you have to agree. Doesn't mean there's not a place to speak and push back. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying we honor one another as fellow image bearers of God who he handcrafted in their mother's womb on purpose and brought forth into this world in exactly this time. 
And, and even as we disagree, and even as we maybe push back, even as we, we stand up, or even as we wrestle through these things, we do it in this context, that we honor one another as image bearers of God who are handcrafted by him on purpose. And that's a challenge, another elephant in the room. We have broken and altered relationships with other people out of all this, right? There are people we are looking at differently. And, and there are, you know, even like Doug Ford I mean, hugely popular amongst Christians and conservatives before COVID, hugely popular, not so popular anymore. Um, we're looking at people differently, and we've gone through this experience where we're saying, okay, wow, so you have landed somewhere different, and you posted something I didn't like, or you said something I didn't like, or that politician went off on something I didn't like. And we have all probably spent some of the last two years being frustrated with other people, And we have probably spent some of the last two years with other people being frustrated with us. And and some of it has been healthy, and some of it has been a a time to work through, and and a lot of it hasn't because we haven't been at our best. And so not the best came out of us all the time. I have never been called more names than in the last two years. And even as we have struggled with how to make these decisions and how to move forward, um, you know, I've been called a coward. I've been called the tool of the state. I've been called someone who's lost the Holy Spirit, who doesn't pray enough, who doesn't know the Lord, who doesn't know his word, who doesn't revere his word. Um, You know, we haven't been at our best in these struggles and conversations. And yet, again, if we can find ourselves to that place of grace and compassion where we say, you know what, I don't maybe like what you said, and it's not to say we don't need to have a conversation about what you said, but we all went through something here, and that's how that showed up for you. There's an old preacher story of uh, a bunch of blind guys trying to describe an elephant. We're shifting gears. I, I wanted as many elephants as possible in the message today, so this is a different elephant metaphor, just to be clear. So a bunch of blind guys are trying to describe an elephant. So one of them's at a lake, and he's like, oh, guys, an elephant, it's like a tree trunk. It, it just, it's, it's kind of round and, and tall. And another blind guy is at the tail. He's like, no, an elephant, it's like a rope. That's what an elephant is. And then another's at the body and says, no, guys, you both got it wrong. An elephant is like a big boulder. Like, that's what an elephant is like. And someone else has an ear and he says, no, an elephant is this big floppy leathery thing. And someone else is at the nose and says, no, guys, an elephant is like a great big hose. And then they're all just fighting with each other. They're saying, no, an elephant is a tree trunk. No, it's not. It's like a big flappy thing. No, it's not. It's like a hose. What's wrong with you guys? And none of them were wrong, and yet all of them were wrong at the same time. Interesting, right? Put another way, they were all speaking the truth, and yet none of them actually had the whole truth. And what could have happened is the one at the tree trunk leg could have said, oh, so you at the back, you say it's like a rope. So, okay, so an elephant is like a tree trunk, and it's like a rope, and it's like a boulder, and it's like a ho- okay. And they would have actually started to get a picture of what was actually going on. And so in the last two years, we began to, to figure out how we felt about certain things, and we began to describe the elephant the way we were perceiving it that was clear to us. So this season is about loving your neighbor. And then someone else would say, well, no, this season is about government overreach. Well, no, it's not. This season is about individual rights and freedoms. No, it's not. This season is about the common good. And then we all just yelled at each other 
for not seeing what we were seeing, what was so obvious to us. We got angry that others were not perceiving it the same way. And as we thought about this is about protecting the vulnerable, no, this is about standing up against overreach, no, this is about doing what's best for everybody and protecting our hospitals, no, it's not just about physical health, what about our mental health? And we had these fights and the politicians had these fights and social media had these fights and the answer was, no, guys, it's actually an elephant, It's not any one thing. It's all of these things. At the same time, all of this is going on. And our job was, which I think we maybe got better at as time went on, our job was, if if it's clear to me that the main thing is about loving your neighbor and protecting people, my job then is to listen to the one who's concerned about the government. Truly listen and say, what do I have to learn from that perspective? And if you were one who was more concerned about the government than the virus, your job was to listen to the ones who have the autoimmune disease who were very concerned about the virus. And if you were concerned about individual rights and freedoms, you needed to listen to the people who were talking about the common good. And if you felt the common good was the most important thing, you needed to be listening to the people who were concerned about our rights and freedoms. Everyone had a place where they could listen. And James says, it's one of the greatest verses of scripture, and I I think we throw it in the garbage a lot, where he says, everybody should be, what? Slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry. Everyone should be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. And it's really easy to lay that aside and then just reverse it. I'm going to talk a lot, I'm not going to listen at all, and I'm going to be angry while I do it. And we as Christ followers need to do better. And so if you're sitting there going, oh yeah, I could have done better, and I certainly do feel that way, this is not about the condemnation of anything. This is about, okay, as we move forward then, how will I speak less? How will I listen more? How will I watch my anger when it arises? Because we do, there is a place where we can disagree with one another without breaking fellowship, without looking at people differently. Uh, To use an obvious example, we had a lady at a previous church, our church in Sudbury, and she was an alcoholic. And, and her life was a mess. And she'd, just, she'd had a horrible life, just incredibly painful, traumatic in every way imaginable. And so she drank. That was how she dealt with it, to, to take the pain off. And she would be sober for a while, and then she'd fall back in, and, and there were suicide attempts in there, and, and it was just a, a, just a struggle. And we were there for her in all the ways that we could be. And, um, and yet every Sunday she was at church, and she would sit at the back, and some Sunday she reeked of rum. And yet she was there and she was worshiping with tears pouring down. And she came back to Jesus over and over and over again. Forgive me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Over and over and over again. And as we walked with her through stuff, as we helped her through stuff, we would, you know, we're not in favor of alcoholism, right? We're not in favor of drunkenness. I can look at her and say, okay, drunkenness is a sin and alcoholism is not a healthy way for us to deal with our pain. So I'm not in agreement with her actions And yet I was full of nothing but compassion for the person, right? To hear her story and to know what she's been through. I don't like what you're doing. I don't support what you're doing. I want to help you find better ways to deal with what you're doing. I don't like what you're saying. I don't like your actions. But I have nothing but compassion for you in this moment. And where we didn't get there with people who disagreed with us these last two years, how do we move forward towards that then now? And a big part of that is just listening, truly listening. I've talked to some of you who are our unvaccinated brothers and sisters, and you've said, I've had family members cut me off because I wasn't vaccinated. I couldn't go to, to Christmas dinner. I couldn't go to the birthday party. I was not allowed in their house because I wasn't vaccinated. 
And that breaks my heart. I have the opposite experience. I was vaccinated, and I had unvaccinated family members cut me off. And, and they were upset that I went down that road. And I said, we can agree to disagree. And it was, nope, unfriended, unfollowed, cut off. And yet, if we can work our way towards compassion, then we say, okay, I don't like what you did. Maybe I don't like what you said. We might need to talk about that part of it. But man, to, to, be a, to cut off your unvaccinated loved ones, like how much in the grip of fear must you be? Like how much must you really be fearful of this virus to take that step? And, and you might not agree with that step, but you can start to understand the why of it a little bit more. For my family who cut me off to say, you know what? Like they were really, really worried about the vaccine and, and they had very, very real concerns about it. And so for them to take that step, I wish they hadn't done it. We don't agree on the vaccine and yet I can, I can have some grace for the person. We've all been through something. We've all been through something here. And so if we can have some of that grace for one another, again, coming back always to love our neighbor and to love our enemy, to get the plank out of our own eye first and not blame everybody else, to forgive as we've been forgiven, to treat others the way we would want to be treated. The psalmist says that all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's an encouraging thought and a challenging thought. Uh, it's true for David and it's true for us. And it means God called us to this season. God knew this was coming. He knew we were going to get through it. He knew we would be sitting here today. He knew that we were going to figure out ways by his grace and by his leading to move forward from all this stuff. Uh, he knew that these days were coming. He knew we were ordained to survive this season together. And so we say, search me, God, and, and help me get through this. David then explodes in verse 19 to 22. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. So that seems to come out of nowhere, right? It's so worshipful up until this point. It's so, I was handcrafted in my mother's womb. Your works are wonderful. You've ordained, you know all my words. You've ordained all my days. And then all of a sudden there's like this that comes out. And, you know, you read that and you're like, well, that doesn't seem to be what Jesus tells us about our enemies, right? Jesus seems to tell us the exact opposite. And just so we're clear, uh, if we're ever finding these places in the word, I won't get into all the theology of it now, but uh, if we're ever in a place where, you know, David's words are in conflict with Jesus' words, David says, I hate my enemies. Jesus says, love your enemies. If we're ever in that conflicted point, uh, we go with Jesus every time. We pick Jesus. We're followers of Jesus. Jesus has come to bring the kingdom, new covenant. Uh, so we pick Jesus. I know there are some out there who will say, oh, so there's a time for us to hate our enemies and there's a time for us to love our enemies. As Anabaptists, we say, nope, we go with Jesus every single time. It's not even hard. Just if you have to choose who you're going to follow, you follow Jesus. And we wrestle with these passages for sure. Um, but this thing rises up in David that I think helps us out as well. This will be the last elephant in the room. Uh, we've all seen some of our ugly come out these last two years. Not everything that has arisen in us has been good. And that doesn't have to be a bad thing. But we have seen some of these things come out, and, and that is where uh, I think it's so important and helpful that we have some soul-searching time to say, okay, uh, I said things I wish I hadn't said. I did things I wish I hadn't did. Uh, hadn't done. I, I had a relationship that, that was strained, and I was a participant in that. Like, where did my dark stuff come out? 
Where did we get caught up in the ways of this world? Because the way that our world functions right now is on outrage and division and attack, right? That's, that's how the politicians function. That's how the media functions. That's how the world around us functions. And I think a lot of us who are Christ followers very much got swept up in those same things. Outrage and division and attack. And it wasn't just, I lovingly and respectfully disagree with you, but isn't it great that Jesus is more important than all of that? Right? We treated one another with contempt at times. There was an attitude that says, how can you not see what I'm seeing? My least favorite social media tone. If you don't see this, you're the problem. How many times did we see that? In all directions, right? If you don't see it, you're the problem. Romans 14 talks about when we disagree with one another, and it says, you must not treat the person on the other side with contempt. And I go, man, that word contempt, that is a big part of what, sucked the life out of me. Not just that we disagreed with one another, not just that the politicians were at war over this stuff. It was the contempt, the disdain that some held for people who were on the other side. So where did we see these things rise up in us? It doesn't have to be a bad thing. Malachi 3.3 says, he, the Lord, will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. This idea of God and the refiner's fire. That when the goldsmith, the silversmith, wants to make it pure and, and fix it and make it as strong and pure as possible, it adds fire. And as the metal melts, the impurities rise to the surface, and then they can be scooped out, and the metal becomes more pure through the process. And so sometimes in life, the fire of affliction, the fire of trials, brings all of our impurities up to the surface. Our junk rises up. We hear it in our words. We see it in our actions. Not everything that comes out of us is right. Not every attitude that we have is pure. Not every thought towards someone else is loving or Christ-like. And that doesn't have to be a bad thing if we can see it and recognize it and say, okay, through the fire of this affliction, God is bringing stuff to the surface, right? Susan always said, COVID was a great exposer. It exposed a lot of what was going on in our hearts and then when we see these things and go, whoa, that was kind of ugly. Wow, I didn't know that was in there. Okay, whoa, whoa, that attitude doesn't feel super loving and gracious and merciful. Okay, search me, Lord. Forgive me. Thank you for drawing this to my attention. Now purify me in that. Help me to move forward from here. Some of the greatest failures, struggles, stumbles in my life have been my greatest teachers. Right? I have learned so much through my screw-ups, so much through the things that I regret. Uh, these things are things that God uses to purify us and make us more like him. I'll come back to it again as we love our neighbor and our enemy, as we get the plank out of our own eye first and stop blaming everybody else, as we forgive as we've been forgiven by God, and as we treat others the way that we would want to be treated. Search me, God, and know. And that's how David wraps up. And you almost get the sense like he's had this explosion of, ah, Kill them all. I hate them. And then, whoo, okay, search me. God. Wow, God, search me. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. That, that was not great, what just showed up there. See if there's any offensive way in me, right? I just wish death on all the enemies. Uh, anything offensive going on in me there? And lead me in the way everlasting. So David has this ugly come out and then says, okay, Lord, come on in. Come on in. We need help to sort through this stuff. We don't always understand what's going on. Come on up, worship team. We're a few minutes late today. Thanks for bearing with me. So here are some questions, and, and you can go on YouTube, and don't, you don't feel like you need to scribble them all down now. 
And these are just the beginning of some questions for us to be prayerfully reflecting on. As we say, Lord, come on in. Help me sort through my thoughts. Help me sort through what I'm feeling. Help me figure out where I need to go from here. Help me to to be more like you in all of it. As we reflect on these last two years, as we move forward as a church family, here's some things for us to be thinking about. One, where was God at work? Where did we see him these last two years? Where was his blessing? Where was his hand? Where was he helping? Where was he working? Where was the enemy at work? And where was my own flesh at work? Not every thought that runs through my head is pure as the driven snow. Some of it is the enemy trying to do stuff, trying to stir up strife, trying to stir up division. Some of it is my own stuff, my own defensiveness, my own sin. Uh, So as we start to ask those questions, where was God at work? Where was the enemy at work? Where was my own flesh at work? That's going to actually help us discern, right? That, That if I'm in a state, well, maybe this is the enemy. Maybe I'm not purely righteous in what I'm doing right now, even though I think I am. Maybe this is actually the enemy trying to cause division and and break things down. Who do I need to forgive? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Who do I need to apologize to? What do I need to repent of? What do I need to let go of? Where have I been like Jesus? Where do I need to be more like Jesus? What are my next steps from here? And I have no sense that we're going to solve this quickly or answer all these questions quickly. I'm giving them to you. These are the types of things I think we need to be praying through, reflecting on, sorting through as we move forward. And as we continue to pursue peace, what's going to be helpful as we do that? One is it's just going to take time. Right? Sometimes we have a, a broken leg and there's no miracle unless Jesus does a literal miracle. It's just time. Hurts take time to heal. Our inner hurts are very much the same. It's going to require some perseverance. It's going to require some conversations. It's going to require us to say, I'm going to keep at this. I'm not going to try it twice and then quit. I'm going to keep at this. I'm going to keep pushing through. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, follow his example as he went to the cross. I think it's going to require us sharing, finding safe places to share with people that we trust, where we can talk about some of this stuff and sort through some of this stuff. Lots of grace remembering how much grace we've been given and how much grace we are called to give away. We're going to pursue joy and pursue peace together. Like, go back to the things that make us happy, even if they feel a little different because we're tired. Don't just try it once and give up. Keep at it. Find the things that bring refreshing to our soul. Find the things that make us come alive. And then the invitation to the Lord, where we say, okay, Lord, I can't do this by myself. I I can't sort it all out by myself. I don't know what all my ugly is inside. I don't know where all the hurt is. I don't know how those things are driving me in my views and in my conversations. But Lord, I invite you in to search me, to, to help me, to purify me, and to lead me in the way everlasting, to lead me in the good way, the right way, the right path as we move forward together. Would you stand to your feet with me, please, as we get ready to close off in worship? And as we worship, uh, we've just come through Easter, right? We've reflected on resurrection. This is what God does. He redeems and he restores and he resurrects. And so as you're praying, as we're singing the words of the song, let's also just be having that posture before the Lord of, okay, Lord, I'm yours. Search me and know and lead me forward from here. Thanks for hanging out through that one. I know that wasn't the easiest message. I know we've gone a little long today, um, but I really did feel like this was important that, that we begin this conversation as we continue to move forward together. So let's worship together and then we will close off in prayer.